From Buffalo, Toronto Public Media and WBFO, this is What's Next Producers Picks, highlights of conversations heard from previous shows. On this week's Producers Picks, It's so important because it's something that should be celebrated. It's that transition into young adulthood, right? So I'm going through this life and it's starting way earlier, right? With Mm -hmm. a lot of girls, but I'm going through this life and I don't have any worries. And now I have this new responsibility that's gonna come every single month that I have to do extra to take care of myself. We hear from Shara Armprester, creator of Natural Beauty Cuties. Then we continue with And that ends up being my big break because now I'm finally in the room. And that's the thing that you need to know. You have to get in the door. Because, like, from there, it's easier to get that second job than, like, to get the first. And you need to be around the people who are doing the work. Storyteller, producer's assistant, and coordinator, Mia Kai Simone Moody. I'm Thomas O'Neill White. Thank you for listening. We start off with Lorenzo Rodriguez speaking with Shara Armprester, the creator of Natural Beauty Cuties. The two discuss her mission to promote self-care and the unique beauty that comes with being a black and brown girl. I got to start everything. Let me preface everything by saying, uh, why is this 38-year-old Hispanic man doing this interview? <laughs> I'm a father. I'm here to learn. I'm, I think it's important that we... I'm a father of two daughters, so I need to, I need to educate myself as much as as everyone else that's hopefully listened to this interview. But uh, you wrote Natural Beauty Cuties. It's a gorgeous book. And in it, first off, you start with the preface of handle yourself with care. Yes. I love that. A big part of the book and and what you're doing with Natural Beauty Cuties is self-care, self-worth. There's been a big push for that in general between just there's there's all these uh, mindful apps and and just I've I've noticed just a, a great push to, to remind people, hey, you're important. You got to remind yourself that you're important. But why is it necessary to remind our young girls and women how much they matter? It's important because you matter, right? And I think when you're growing up, what do they teach you as a child? Think about kindergarten. I'm going to school. Make sure you share. Make sure you do this. Make sure you're nice and kind. But nobody tell you to be selfish and make sure you're nice and kind to yourself. If I'm not good for me, I can be good for nobody else. Mm. So promoting that to young girls, promoting that to women is something that I just stand on, right? So when we look at different phases in our life and it's like oh if I would have treated myself a little bit better that wouldn't have been the outcome if I would have just poured into me a little bit more I wouldn't have been as stressed in the situation so it's important to put you first before you can take care of everyone else we say all the other things be what you want to be and mm-hmm. and reach for the stars but also love yourself like yeah. it's it's important and we, we get caught up in everything else and that goes for adults as well you just you get lost in, in the day-to-day and you forget, hey, I matter too. I gotta, yes. I, I gotta give myself that 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 love, and and part of that in the in the in the book is about establishing routines. So important for children. Uh, I I've had to I've struggled with that my whole life, <laughs> and now as a parent, routines are essential. Uh, our our daughters are in bed by seven yes. seven thirty, and you need it. Mom and dad need it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they need it. They need to have some some setup routine. And and in in the book, it's a lot about brushing teeth, going yes. to bed. Uh, can you explain a little bit about that routine and why 
why yeah. why young girls need to hear about that? So you need to hear it because you need structure, right? When you start in the working world, school teaches us to be great workers, right? This is this class, you have to go to this class, you have to be on time. When you go to work, you have to be on time, and you need structure throughout your whole day. Um, nobody taught me growing up a routine. Um, I didn't grow up privileged. I grew up like very much so poor and in poverty. So I was just kind of like fending for myself when I grew up. And nobody told me about a bedtime. Nobody told me the importance of getting up. Nobody told me these different things. We kind of were worrying about, is the lights going to be on today? Is the gas going to be on today? So we worried about different things without creating those boundaries. It was in my adult years that I was really, really stressed out. And my friend was like, just make your bed. It's a book called Make Your Bed Every Day or something. And I read this book, and if you, when you're in the military, they make you make mm-hmm. your bed, and it needs to be so perfect that a coin can yep. drop on this bed yep. and bounce back up. So I'm like, if I could just make my bed every day, I have accomplished something, um, and then I have a son. So getting my son into a routine of we have to get up at this time. The next step is to brush your teeth. The next step is to actually shower, do these things. And although I have a little boy, I also have nieces, and I teach them the same thing. We have to have a routine so our day can flow, right? And it goes um, so smooth. Yes. Once they get into that that process, like... I mean, I, everyone thinks their, their children are the best in the world, and my, mine are. <laughs> uh, but part of that, I, I, I owe that to my wife and, and the, the work she's done with them, but it's instilling yeah. a routine because they know, all right, we're waking up, we're having breakfast, we're going to school, we're coming yeah. back, we're, it's, it's brushing our teeth time, it's, it's yeah. reading a book and go to bed. And some and people are so stressed out that they don't even do those things. It's like hard depression to keep up with your real, own schedule. Right? So. so it's like, okay, I brushed my teeth today. Check one. I've washed my face. Check two. <laughs> I've made my bed. Check three. So you've accomplished three small things in the course of your day. And congratulate yourself for those things because some people can't. That's, that's it. I think, a really important one uh, is reminding yourself, hey, I, I did something yeah. good today. <laughs> it's in your, your checklist. At the end of the book, there's mm-hmm. a 20-day self-care checklist. And one of them is just... Write down three things that, that you're grateful that, that you accomplished yeah. today. Uh, I think we all should take that into practice. Um, and Shara, what was the, you kind of, I think, it, it hinted at it, but what was the moment that made you say, you know, I need to put the, this message out there. I need to mm-hmm. I need to write a book. I need to I need to create natural beauty cuties and get this, this messaging out there. Well, sometimes when you go through childhood traumas, you want to forget about them. So you put them way in the back of the closet and you don't think about it. Um, I've been privileged to work inside the school systems for a while in different capacities and work throughout our community in different capacities. And I've seen a lot. Um, What I used to do when I was in the high schools was just bringing tampons and bringing pads for the girls. At first, I was giving out condoms, and the school nurse was like, you can't give out condoms. That's a me job. (laughs) So I'm like, okay, well, what about pads and tampons, right? Just because I know so many girls were asking me for condoms, for pads, for tampons, and I wanted to bring them organic and natural ones. Um, So that's what I would do. One day, a girl came to me, and she was like, Miss A, so arm presser, Miss A. So, (laughs) Miss A, do you have any pads? And I had just run out. So I'm, like, apologizing to her. I'm like, well, let's walk to the main office to see if they have anything. So we walk, and we're talking. I'm like, okay, what day are you on your period? Like, I'm really invested (laughs) in periods. So she was telling me, and we get to the office, and they had these tampons, and they were wrapped in cardboard. So these are, like 
old school tampons. It, you probably don't know about this, well, but <laughs> I mean, here's my ignoramus yes. uh, mind here. Uh, my Cro Magnum mind. mind <laughs> uh, it, they they come wrappers now. They're they like come in like plastic, plastic wrappers, wrappers now, yeah. but these were cardboard. cardboard. So you can imagine. We're going to say vagina, right? You can imagine sticking this tampon up your vagina and how uncomfortable that would be for someone. Mm. So I gave her one, and now I'm apologetic. I'm like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Do you have anybody bringing you some? And we get into this conversation. She only asks for one. And I'm like, well, Do are you going to get some for your friends? Yeah. It's 9 in the morning. I must add that to the story. So it was 9 in the morning, and she was like, no, I'll be okay. But she told me she was, like, on her second day of her period walking down. So usually your cycle is heavier on your second and third day. So there's no way that you'll be good to go for this whole day being on one tampon. So I explained to her, like, the toxic um, uh, the toxic syndrome that you can get if you mm-hmm. leave your pad up there for too long. Mm-hmm. And she wasn't educated. And then I had to think back to my childhood. Nobody ever told me about periods, how often I should change my pads how to really insert a tampon, what's the panty liner used for. So I created these cards. Um, They're cutie cards. So Mm. what it does is breaks down every part of your period. Um, I felt education was really important. So I started making bags for the girls. And I wanted to give them like a daily supply. This is what you need. You need this many regular. If you're on your cycle and it's a little bit heavier, you can use a super. Overnight has more absorption. So these are things that girls kind of didn't know and they were grateful for these cards and I just started putting them in my office putting them in different spaces and then from there natural beauty cuties was created did you get any any pushback because I feel like in today's world Mm -hmm. where we're having a lot of just heated discussions about about everyday things that should be addressed Mm -hmm. especially when it comes to 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 women in this country we're not having them and then if you have them you're kind of I don't know. You're, 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 all these stigmas and, and, and personal baggage are thrown at, at folks. Have, did you face some of that with when you first started Natural Beauty Cuties? It wasn't more so pushback. Um, it was just we already have pads. Hmm. People have pads, but we don't have the good pads. We have pads that have been bleached with chlorine. So um, a period is to release toxins from your body. Right. So if I'm releasing toxins, but then I'm adding, adding a toxin, mm-hmm. now we create this weird Thing in this weird space in our bodies where you get your pH balance is thrown off. You may get a bacteria infection. Women get yeast infections. And it's not because it's sexually related. It's just an overgrowth in bacteria sometimes. So when you have this overgrowth, it messes things up. You get it often when you have these pads that's not great for you, when you have plastic. So it might be a top coating of recyclable stuff. And you don't really know what that stuff is. And then right under that, it may be plastic. Um, cotton is good. Bamboo is good. So different bio. Bamboo. Yeah. yeah. So they use bamboo. They have these bamboo pads, but they're actually made from the bamboo plant. So huh. um, they are doing this new biodegradable pads, but they're using it from natural products. Natural is sometimes the way to go because it's already around us, right? Like we, it's good. <laughs> it's just the way to go. So we jumped into the, mm-hmm. the developing part of, of a of a woman's life. Uh, the, the 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 book is still very much geared mm-hmm. towards the, the the younger generation up grade school. Yes. And before we get into, I really this is the the the, the bulk of our conversation. Um, 
You also have something about a personal mantra. Yes, so a mantra. Um, Mantra is just pouring into you, right? So some days we don't feel great. So in the book, I created a mantra where I go through the steps of make three words that make you feel good about yourself. Um, Tell yourself these things, even if you're not having a great day. Do this, do that. So it's something that you can read to you when you're having great moments, right? And I'm pouring into me, and I'm like, you know what? I am dope. I am smart. I am beautiful. <laughs> and it's something that you can pour into you when you're not having those best days, where it's like, you know what? I am smart. I am great. I am beautiful. And you have to pour that into you, because sometimes your best friend is not available to talk to you, or your mom is at work, or this thing is happening. You have to be your best advocate. And you have to be your best advocate for yourself so just that pour back into me um, is so important and I wanted to share that with girls and also nutrition mm-hmm. huge component of just a healthy lifestyle you've got some recipes in here for the yes. for the, uh, the young girls to try out mm-hmm. you got a watermelon pizza <laughs> and a mango coconut sweet potato smoothie that yes. sounds amazing <laughs> I'm, on, I'm on I'm only surviving on a, on a bagel right now so mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> having seen that I was like mm. uh, what's a big also is that What's a big component that caregivers and parents should be aware of when it comes to the daily nutrition of their of their kids? Um, it's important, right? What we put in our body, what we put on our body, all of that matters for our function in school. If your child is not eating a good balanced breakfast in the morning or not intaking enough water, you get sluggish. You get like the water one is, is water huge. is important. It's eighty percent of our bodies, yep, right? I'm the one that I'm constantly. I'm the one that's the drum I'm always beating on. It's yeah. Like, hey guys, you got to drink water. I'm mm-hmm. from Florida. Hydration. Stay hydrated. Yeah. Summer's gone and over with, but you still we forget. Yes. And there's a whole there's talking about products. Uh, there's a whole line of, of things. Mm-hmm. Like, one of our colleagues here has one that, that lights up to remind them to drink water. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. Yeah. But, yeah, it's these little things. It's, it's just mindfulness mm-hmm. is a big part of this that, that we just have to remember to have that conversation with ourselves. Yeah. And now the other conversation that now you, you touched on it and we're going we're, we're gonna, to we're gonna get deep into it is, is just menstruation, the, the health around it, the conversations around or lack thereof. Yes. Because... Uh, uh, this, by the way, this card is fantastic. This is a nice little cheat sheet for me. <laughs> Great. Uh, what is a panty liner used for? How often do you change your sanita- sanitary napkin or tampon? And a fun fact, Mary Beatrice Davison Kenner, she's the African-American inventor who was the first to patent the adjustable sanitary belt. Yes. This is awesome. <laughs> you brought us also uh, myself and, and Charles Gilbert, our associate producer, who's also a father of a, of a daughter, who brought, brought us a, a, a cutie box. Yes. Uh, cutie period box, which, I mean, these are things that you you take for granted. All that we've, we've spoken about here are people are saying, yeah, this is common sense. I know mm-hmm. this. Do you do? You do thankfully. Mm-hmm. But there's a large part of our population that's either having to undergo a number of other stressors or other yes. things in their lives or don't have somebody else to have that conversation with. And um, and I was having previous conversations with my wife about this upcoming interview and she's like why are you <laughs> why are you doing it i'm like oh well, I'm, I'm the host today um but she one thing she brought up and, and we were talking briefly before the interview about your period story your first period story yes that's something that i mean as a, as a man i've never never experienced but but you hear these instances and for my wife hers came and went and she didn't tell anybody she didn't tell her mother she didn't tell her father there was an aspect of shame there yes but Part of what you're you're trying to do here is take down those those stigmas, take down those barriers of of, of 
lack of conversation and, and transparency and, and communication. Why, why, why do we get to this point? Why, why is that? It's so important because it's something that should be celebrated. It's that transition into young adulthood, right? So I'm going through this life, and it's starting way earlier, right, with mm-hmm. a lot of girls. But I'm going through this life, and I don't have any worries. And now I have this new responsibility that's going to come every single month that I have to do extra to take care of myself. I have to go to the bathroom more and change my pad. I have to raise my hand a little bit more in class to say, hey, can I go to the bathroom? And sometimes you get teachers. They'd be like, you just went to the bathroom. And this girl may be feeling uncomfortable because I feel it down there. So now I want to change my pad. Um, It should be celebrated, and it shouldn't be so disheartening for some girls to walk in. You should be able to say, I'm on my period today in a room full of boys and be okay with it. And they just look and say, Okay, she's on her period today. We don't always get that, and it's shamed, and it's always talked about in these cold words. So you might say, mm-hmm. oh, cold red, or my friend down south. <laughs> and you're speaking in this language, like trying to hide and mask the fact that right. I'm going through something that is normal. Like this is a normal thing. A lot of girls don't want it to be normal. Or I know I was growing up, and when I did disclose that I had my period, because I was very much so like your wife, I didn't tell anybody for months. And when I finally got it, like, somebody threw me a pad, like, oh, use this. And I'm like, I've been using socks. <laughs> I've been using <laughs> tissue. I've been using paper towels. I've been using whatever can be, like, this Band-Aid because in my mind, I'm like, oh, I'm dying. And But no, I'm not. It stopped. Stop. I just needed to stop, right? And nobody talked to me. So when they did talk to me, it still wasn't a conversation. It was just, like, a here. And then we didn't always have pads, right? So mm-hmm. I was still, even though people knew about it, I was still using these other instruments to try to get me by. Um, Bleed-throughs. Bleed-throughs is a big thing sometimes when people don't have resources. Now I'm embarrassed in school because... It's different different levels, yeah. different severities of... of, of yeah, and this is where we look into period poverty. Like, how do we combat that? How do we celebrate it? How do we make sure all girls have access to it? If I can't play gym today, I just can't play gym today mm-hmm. because I don't feel good. So how do we have those conversations with teachers to say, this is a real thing? Not saying that I have to go and disclose to everybody. But if a child says, my stomach is hurting, I don't feel good. I got to sit out today. I got I to sit out. Be okay with the sit out. Right. Um, sometimes we just don't know how to be okay with being okay. And you said the, the, the key word of today's uh, portion of, of this conversation, uh, period poverty. Mm-hmm. That's something that that once again, when we when we were when I was researching the, for this interview, I didn't know nearly as much. I knew that there was there was a conversation going on, but the numbers that I found are just it's, it's alarming. As of 2020, one in five girls miss school due to lack of menstrual hygiene items. Yes, there's still there's still states that have these 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 items labeled as essential. Thankfully, we're we're going to get into, I wanted to ask you about that, what's called, dubbed the pink tax. Yes. But um, there's still uh, luxury tax placed on, on uh, feminine hygiene products. And in schools, mm-hmm. just the availability. Uh, you, you think about in certain places you go and there's there's a dispenser in, in the bathroom, but some places there's not. There's not a place to properly dispose of, of, of soiled uh, items. Uh, in 2018, thankfully, New York State passed legislation that required elementary schools from 6 to 12 to provide no-cost feminine hygiene products in the restrooms in their buildings. Yes. But something we found during the pandemic, we didn't have 
we had girls that unfortunately could, didn't have access, didn't have the, the resources to buy their their own items, and and as such, went without them. Yes. Uh, give give us a little bit more on, on as far as like how big of an issue this is that we're not really properly addressing. It seems it's a huge issue. So if I start my day at home and I don't have a pad to go to school but I have a long bus ride. I know there is access to these pads at some of these schools, but I still have to make it there. Mm -hmm. So because I don't have it to start with at home, I may not make it to school that day. So that's a huge issue because they're given a supply. While you're in school, you may be able to take extra, but they're not a lot, or they're not, like I said, the greatest items that you even want to utilize. Um, they don't send that supply home. Sometimes if you do get a supply home and you have multiple people living in your household, they may be like, oh, just give me one, right? So you still don't have a big enough supply. It just causes like this weirdness when it comes to education because I am missing time in school. Like you said, during COVID, there was no access to that. We have a melting pot here in Buffalo. So when we say a melting pot, we have different people coming from different places. When you look at Kenya, it's girls out there that's killing themselves because mm -hmm. of period shame. Um, you look at some places where I can't go into the temple because I'm on my period and they are making me feel like I'm going to pollute this place, right? Wow. Like, so different things for different cultures. So when we look at assimilation here, some some of these young girls that's coming from these different places. It's an added level of shame, yeah, too. Yeah, it's an added level of shame. And then we can't talk about it in my country anyway. So now I'm going through this thing by myself. So now they're we're looking at a body odor. So now I'm getting embarrassed because people are talking about me. I have these bleed-throughs. I have these things going on. But I don't know what to do because, one, I'm not even from here. This is not, like, okay or acceptable in my culture. I'm being shamed for it. But then you have this new tool and this new instrument that I know nothing about because my mother doesn't know about it. My father doesn't teach me about it. So it's just such a wide range of differences from different places that come with periods and period poverty that we sometimes don't look at it because we have these instruments, um, even if it's a lack of. And federal programs mm -hmm. such as SNAP, uh, food stamps, they don't cover menstrual hygiene yeah. products. That's another big one that... that we're not we're not we're not arming our our, our, our women and girls to, to just be go through life properly. Um, I mean the, the numbers are are rather staggering. Uh, when I was when I was a young boy in, in back back in Miami, it was, it was we didn't talk about these things because it's 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 that's yeah. a that's a that's a that's a women issue. But like like we're saying, we need to discuss these things because there's so many. So many conversations that are being made by those that aren't going through it. Right. Simple as that. And uh, like I mentioned, I, th I think New York State is, is on, on the right direction. But, I mean, you still, you still had to – recently you were uh, out in Auburn doing an event where you helped uh, uh, furnish or, or put together a care closet for women and, and girls. And, and, and I know that there's educators that have principals that have to – Yes. Have a closet stock that of that out of their own pocket mm -hmm. for these instances. Are you finding that still we're we're a little bit behind on on? Oh, we're definitely behind on it. Yes, because we have we have them, like I said, but we don't have this large access to them. Like, what do I do on the weekends when it's not school? Mm -hmm. If my period starts on a Friday afternoon, 
right when I leave school, now I have to go this whole weekend without having any type of supply. So do we give like these girls, these young girls, a monthly supply every month that you can just go to your office or go to this closet and pick up these things and you don't have to ask about it. You don't have to talk about it. You just have to say, let me grab and go. Um, how do we really combat that? When you look at the period tax, you said it's lifted, well, the peak tax, sorry, mm -hmm. um, is lifted here in New York State. But when you look at Texas or different places, you don't have tax on cowboy boots, but you have tax on pads. So right. we're still like in this weird thing here in America where everybody is not being treated the same. Um, this is a medical condition, right? Having right. a period is something that most women get. Um, some don't, but most throughout your life, you will experience your period. If I had asthma, I'll have an asthma pump. Mm -hmm. Why can't I have pads if I have, like, a period? So it's just so much to explore because it's a lack of, and sometimes we just don't really pay attention if we're not going through it. Are schools having those conversations? Because I remember getting to sixth grade, and it was, let's have sex ed talk. Mm -hmm. but And then they split up the classes, and, and then those conversations are had. And one can only assume what goes on in the yeah. other classroom. <laughs> But have you found that that we're getting to that that point where I don't those think we have them fully. I think they touched on them in health class, and like you said, it's sometimes that split. So in my class, I may be getting taught about periods, but now these young men are not being taught mm -hmm. about periods. If I have a girlfriend, I need to know my girlfriend is going to get a period. Right. If I have a wife, I need to know or a sister. She's going to go through this thing, right? So if she's a little irritable, or if she's a little weak and just has a headache or doesn't feel well. I can't say, well, what's going on? No, she's on her period, and I'm understanding because I've been taught about this thing that happens to all women, most women. Um, but no, I don't think it's being touched on in a way where you can really understand it, you know what to do, you have the proper education about how to care for yourself around periods um, during your period when you're in school. So if, I, if I'm if i a single parent, have a daughter, I don't have that 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 womanly figure in, in mm -hmm. around us to, to have to to unfortunately to, to pass on because that's, yeah. that's sometimes what men feel like they mm -hmm. like I'm not equipped to have this conversation um, I, ha I see my 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 colleague Charles <laughs> who went through this same issue uh, with his daughter he was uh, mm -hmm. some people are alone in this conversation yeah. what's the best advice what what can you counsel what can you coach up a, a father uh, to how do you how do you have that conversation with your daughter so when I would say talking to a father, um, there are different resources. So you can go to your doctor, right? And you can say, it's almost that time. I don't even know when periods are going to start. What do I tell my daughter? Mm -hmm. um, talk to your daughter and embrace it. Tell her, you know, this thing is going to happen in your body, and you will go through some changes. This is what it's going to look like. Um, I know one of my friends thought she had drunk Loganberry one day, and then her period started. And oh, she was goodness. like, oh, man, I'm, I can't uh, have Loganberry anymore. <laughs> more um it's just this this will happen to you and it's okay this is normal celebrate it like we're going to make this a fun day um a lot of girls think like oh man i got my period my life is over <laughs> but no embrace it make it a fun day do what she loves to do on that day if you want to go to the movies let's celebrate by going to the movies let's watch a movie at home spend that time because it's going to be this weird transition that she goes through where she feels like everybody is going to know I'm on my period. Or um, why does it smell like this? Like blood is coming out of you, so it may smell a little bit different or you may be feeling a little off or I'm feeling weak, I have a headache. These are symptoms that I'm not experiencing. Um, tell her it's going to be 
it's going to be okay. And just walk through that journey with her and be there for her because every child is going to be different. Some people are going to take it like champs, like, oh, got my period today, and the day just goes on like nothing happened. But some are going to be like, oh, no, like, I got my period today, or they won't tell you. So you look for signs and symptoms in your children. My stomach is hurting. Okay, if I know my daughter is at that 10, 11 year old Mark, and she keeps saying, My stomach is hurting, she's kind of low on energy. She may be transitioning to getting your per period. So now you want to start having those conversations like, Oh, I see the change is coming, but it may happen as early as nine. Um, I know I'm working with um, an organization, they're an upcoming organization, um, talking about autism and black mm. children. How do we have those conversations with children who have disabilities that don't understand? My body will be going through these changes. That's That's a whole nother, like, facet because it's like I already sometimes don't understand what's going on around me or I understand what's going around me, but you don't understand me. So how do you have a conversation and tell a child that the world sometimes looks at as different? Right, that this different thing is going to now happen to them. So, like facilitating those conversations with children that's on the spectrum is a whole different um, thing that we sometimes don't think about or touch on or talk about. That was Lorenzo Rodriguez with Shara Armpresser, creator of Natural Beauty Cuties. We end the show with Jay Moran speaking with Mia Kai Simone Moody. The two have an in-depth conversation about the lessons she has learned and the skills she has honed to land a dream job on one of television's longest-running animated shows, Family Guy. Mia Kai, let's get into uh, just your your origin in Buffalo. Uh, You grew up uh, in Buffalo on the east side? Yes. Well, thank you for having me, Jay. I'm really excited to be here. Uh, So, yes, I am from the east side of Buffalo. I am proudly from the east side of Buffalo, and I've been blessed to enter a lot of really great rooms, and I want everyone to know that I carry Buffalo with me into each and every one of them. I love the city, and I make sure that when people meet me, they know that I am a product of the east side of Buffalo. When you think about that as being a a product of the east side of Buffalo, because I've had a lot of different answers about this, but what, what are those characteristics that come out of growing up on the east side? Well, I think this is a great opportunity for me to shout out my mother, Verona Lizette Moody. Uh, And so my mother herself is a product from the east side of Buffalo. And one of the things that I want parents who are listening to this to know, uh, or anybody who wants to enter the entertainment industry, is that my mother was a reader. She is still a reader, and she instilled in me a love of reading. So because of that, she read about lots of activities that the cities had to offer, like programs that the city had to offer. And one of the things, looking back, that I would say she did really well as a parent is that she encouraged me and provided opportunities for me to be the best version of the person that I wanted to be. She didn't put anything on me. Right. And so in Buffalo, she found art camps that I participated in. I did uh, swimming. I did writing camps. But the introduction to the entertainment industry for me came from studio arena oh so when i was a kid i forget how old but this is like fun trivia on the akai <laughs> i was the first african-american female to play tiny tim in a multicultural production of a christmas carol wow and so that experience like being in school like being this little child actress was really life-changing for me But that sort of showed my mother and myself that, like, I was really interested in the arts. 
So she doubled down on that and found more like opportunities for me to really like, again, experiment and try it out. I went to Montessori for elementary school. Okay. And I went to Buffalo Seminary for high school. Ah, okay. All right. And so Buffalo Seminary is where I found my voice. Thanks to my mother at Buffalo Seminary and just some of the other experiences I had, I learned what I call the art of the ask. And again, to shout out my mother, when I was younger, my mother would, as a little kid, encourage me to be articulate. So when we went to the drive-thru, she would have me order my food. <laughs> or Can like, you come do that for me? <laughs> yeah. <I'm a> stumble. <laughs> or like when we went to a store, she would have me speak up. And so what happened is when I was in Buffalo Seminary, you had to do an internship. And so if you're not familiar with Buffalo Seminary, it's a private all-girls sure. high school, predominantly white. I am African-American. But like I never you know, felt any culture shock or anything. No? Like, I felt like I belonged, so that really wasn't an issue Do you think me. that's because of you or because of the institution? Because uh, of the way your mother yes. brought you up? Or is it, or do you think the institution was just welcoming in that regard? I think it was welcoming, but again, my mother raised me to believe that I belonged in any room. And she did a lot of culturally affirming activities. You know, I had, like, black dolls, and uh, she made sure that I was well-rounded so that I was not intimidated by anyone. And so, sure enough, when it came time to do an internship in high school, a lot of my friends, you know, they were doing internships at, you know, their dad's law firm or, you know, their businesses. Right. And so, like, I didn't have that opportunity. <laughs> I didn't want to, like, work where my mom worked. So I decided I wanted to work in radio, strangely enough. That is very strange. Trust so me. So <laughs> at the time, WBLK 93.7 was, like, the biggest thing going, like, in the city. Like, I loved it. So I reached out to them and asked if it was possible to create an internship and could I get credit for it? Because, like, you know, there were requirements. Yeah. And I reached out to somebody in the PR department and they said yes. And so instead of, like, having, like, a boring internship like a lot of, like, my classmates, I got to work at WBOK at a time when, you know, radio stations would do a lot of what they call remotes. Sure. So they were going on location all mm -hmm. around. Like, I got to go to several proms. A lot of my favorite, like, rappers and hip-hop artists, like, will come to the city. I got to meet them and go behind the scenes. So, again, I'm like, I'm kind of liking this PR thing. All right. I'm kind of liking this entertainment thing. So that was really incredible. While I was at Buffalo Seminary, I applied to be a newspaper correspondent with Next Magazine. And at the time, it was a junior magazine where you could profile interests, like, stories of interest to younger people. And so, once again... Instead of like accepting the status quo, I designed the life I wanted to have. So I would pitch diverse stories. The Universal Circus was a cool, hip, like urban circus. I was able to cover that for the newspaper. Again, when more of my favorite concerts came to town, I was able to cover that. I'm currently a Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated member. Uh, but at the time, I did the AKA Debutante program. I was able to profile that experience for the newspaper. So, again, it taught and me. And you were part of the local chapter then? Part of the local chapter, Gamma Phi Omega chapter. And that's, that, that, that's proved to be beneficial program. for you. Absolutely beneficial. Again, it taught me that diversity was okay. Who I am is okay. Who I am is enough. But, again, there's a quote I like. Don't play the cards you're dealt. Change the cards. And, again, I learned to try to design the life. And so that's a theme that when we get into my story, you'll hear that's carried me throughout. Mia Kai, Simone Moody is our guest uh, this morning on uh, What's Next. You've been rejected? 
I have been rejected before. Okay. So I would say. How do you overcome rejection? That as I think <laughs> as you're saying that, I yeah. think most people, and I can go on my own experience. You go for things. Sometimes you're afraid of getting rejected. Sometimes you get rejected, and it's worse than you ever expected it to be. But how about for you? Okay. How did you work through that? It's funny because it happens to everybody. Of course. It does. <laughs> but so, that doesn't change the fear. Yes, it does not. <laughs> so I would say that up until college, up until NYU, I was on a pretty historic run, I would say. Like, I had never come across an unsuccessful outcome. And that spoiled me, and I got a rude awakening. Mm. So what happens is I ended up interning with Spike Lee, and they referred me to the Bill Cosby Screenwriting Fellowship. And I always wanted to be invited to L.A. I didn't want to just move out there and just, you know, see what happens. I wanted to, like, have a plan and something to do when I got there. So I did that fellowship, and it was great. But when I actually got to L.A. that second time and, like, I was no longer a student, it was the first time I came face-to-face -face with the realization that what I thought made me special, everybody in the city had. Mm. And that there are millions of talented people in Los Angeles who never make it. And so it actually sent me into a bit of a depression mm. because I thought, like, once you move to L.A., you know, you go to school. This the city is waiting for me. The city is ready. Like this is when right. things happen. Did you feel like you had the skill though, that talent yes. to do that? Okay. Well, right. like I went to, uh, I didn't. We didn't get into it, but I went to Sarah Lawrence and NYU on full scholarships. Ah. So I end up applying, getting in. I'm there, and then I get to LA, and everybody wants to screen to be a screenwriter. Like everybody wants to work in the entertainment industry. Everybody was the star of their school. You know, every, and some people have more connections instead of like going to grad school like I did. Some people just came straight out to L.A. and started working, got a foot in the door. Mm. So I'll give an example of one of the mistakes I made professionally that I hope if you are out there listening, if you have a similar experience, you don't do what I did. So, again, reading is a superpower. So my mother read an issue of Essence magazine and there was an article on the highest ranking black woman at Disney at the time and she sent it to me and so through sheer luck um, she just flagged it hey you might be interested in this a couple months later I was doing that Bill Cosby screenwriting fellowship and I actually we went to Disney and that woman who was profiled in the magazine happened to be at the event that I was at I was like oh my god and I because my mother sent me that article I was the only person who knew who she was oh nice and so I was able to use that and, like, you know, meet her and to ask for a meeting, an informational interview. And she said yes. And it took about three months to, like, come to fruition. But the longer it took to, like, keep the meeting because she's, like, super busy, so it kept getting pushed because mm -hmm. she had higher priorities, the more hope I put into it. Because I thought this is how my career starts. Like, I've been invited to Disney. This woman knows who I am. And at the time, this woman was in charge of, like, hiring writers for, like, all different parts of, like, the divisions at Disney. And so I came up with all these ideas. I had my little folder. And I go into the meeting. And not only was it her, Disney has sent a producer with her. So now I'm meeting with two people who are high-ranking. They hire writers. Wow. And I'm there. I have my folder. And within the first five seconds, she tells me that they don't accept unsolicited material. And because I don't have an agent, like, I can't talk about any of the things in my folder. Oh, my. So, I didn't, thankfully, I didn't bring my folder out. 
But like I was prepared to. Right, 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 right. <laughs> and so I'm like, and and literally my head was spinning because I'm like, wait, here's a person who like needs to hire writers. I'm ready. I'm qualified. I have the ideas. It's gonna make this company millions of dollars. And what happened is once she said that, I did not recover well. Hmm. So like I was present, like, and I was answering questions, but like emotionally, my mind was reeling. And what happened is I fumbled the opportunity. And I was so disappointed that, okay, this is not going to be my big break. And so like, we're just going to have a conversation. We're not going to talk about my stories. We're not going to, you know, share our passions. That like I did not make the most of actually getting to know her. Right. And it so was that a was a mistake you made. That you was said. a mistake I made. That I was so disappointed in realizing what it wasn't, that I didn't make the most mm. of what it was. And so after that meeting, I think we spoke for like an hour and a half. I can't tell you a thing that we said. It was not probably a memorable conversation at all. Like I never spoke to her again, because I was so in my right. head. Right. And so after that period. It honestly led to a really big depression for me because I'm like, you okay. thought you blew your big chance. I thought I blew my big chance, but also I thought that was that was the only chance. Ah, wait. So I'm I'm in LA. I'm meeting with Disney. It's just me. I'm invited here. If this is not how it happens, what do you do? Okay, like what what do you do? And so honestly. Like I said, it took me a minute. I had to regroup. And I think it's important to allow yourself that space. Um, but it taught me an important lesson about expectations. Right. It's like when you have expectations, you truly can be disappointed. So what made the difference for me is I continued to like work for free. And at that time, you know, there were a lot of internships that you weren't getting paid for. And that was another disappointment for me that I was working for free. And I thought, OK, if I do a really good job and I'm really nice and I do a lot of networking that, you know, they'll hire me. But then if they hire you, they have to pay you. And at that time, there were so many people willing to work for free. Mm -hmm. You know, they weren't retaining people for, like, these long-term positions. So I was applying to jobs. So as you know, like, whenever you want to work somewhere, the company has a website and they list, like, all the available positions. I must have applied to, like, over 300 jobs. 300. Like, over 300. Like, I'm applying to jobs and nothing is happening. I think I got maybe two interviews out of the 300 resumes. And when I say that I'm applying, I mean, I am tailoring my cover letter specifically oh, <laughs> for each position. When I tell you I was trying everything and it felt like I was running up against a brick wall. And someone finally said to me, you know what? It's probably your desperation. Like, I don't know what you're doing in these interviews, but you're clearly giving something off. And it was true. Like, I was so desperate and I wanted it so badly and, like, I had so much writing on it. The stakes felt so high that it was a deterrent. And I wasn't able to, like, be myself. Hmm. And I think, you know, I was just, I was trying to, like, ah, you know, just, you know, go for everything in the moment. I wasn't sort of going with the flow. So, what you're, so would you say the rejection, once you got it in perspective, was a learning? It, it taught you something about yourself? It was humbling. Like, to be honest, I probably had a bit of an ego. Because, again, I had never come right. across, like, an unsuccessful outcome. Hmm. And it was the first time I, I faced the realization that just because you want it, it doesn't happen. And that was, it took, I learned that lesson late, <laughs> <laughs> but it was good to know. And so the rejection also taught me not to take things personally. And like, you have to have thick skin. It's like, okay, well, if I want this to happen, 
So, you know what? The traditional route isn't going to happen to me. I'm going to have to figure out a different way. And I think that's what made the difference. Because, again, when you live in L.A., it's what they call an industry town. And you don't really think about what that means until you're actually in it. Where, okay, you know what? There's a job opening. 500 people want this one position. But maybe 30 people heard about it before it was posted. And they have something that they call the UTA job list, which, you know, has a lot of, like, different professions. I mean, a lot of, a lot of different positions listed. Um, you know, entry level, like, management positions, things like that. I didn't realize by the time that I received <laughs> that email, it had been seen by thousands of people. So informational interviews, like I said, are kind of what made the difference Yeah, you me. mentioned that before we went on, on the air here. Informational interviews. What is an informational interview? To, to give us a definition of that. Yes. So for me, an informational interview is a backdoor way to sort of meet somebody one-on-one in a low-stakes setting, learn more about what they do. Okay. So, like, say, so this is not coming in, here's a job. No. It's, okay. Right. Like, okay, say there's somebody who wants to work in radio. Mm-hmm. They would say, hi, Jay. Like, are you available for informational interview? They're not asking for a job at the station. They're just asking for maybe to ba- maybe buy you a cup of coffee or maybe take you to lunch or maybe just meet with you for 10 minutes. And, like, again, because when you say you want to be in radio or you say you want to work in the entertainment industry, you make that decision as a fan. You really don't have an yes. idea of what it's actually like. So an informational interview allows you a one-on-one meeting to actually speak to someone who does the work that you're interested in. And, like, this is a great tactic for people who are looking to change careers or, you know, you're graduating during a pandemic. Okay, I'm still looking for a job. I'm curious. Do I like this? I want to know more about it. That's what an informational interview is. All right, the big break. Because you've really taken us through the process here, and I think we've all enjoyed hearing. Because, you know, we've all gone through this to a certain extent, rejection, trying to figure out where we wanted to go, maybe dashing our own dreams. You've continued through. So you got your big break. How did this come about? <laughs> so at this point, I've worked with Spike Lee. I interned on one of his projects. So now I'm in L.A. I had been doing all these free internships. And, like, you know, I thought the way that the traditional way of, like, breaking in Hollywood is, like, you start, you know, as a, P- a production assistant or a PA, as they call them, and then you eventually become an assistant. And you Like, you pay your dues and you work your way up. So I'm still at the interning stage and I get bit by this poisonous spider. So like I can't walk for weeks. And once again, it's a bit of a little bit of a depression because I feel like I'm losing time. And so all my friends are, you know, going and having great jobs, having great positions. And so I realize I have to try something different. So I do those informational interview things and like I'm meeting a lot of people. It's not working out. I read about a screening for the movie Despicable Me 2, which was the hottest movie at the time. And there was going to be a free award show screening with the head of the Illumination Studio, the company that produces that movie, and the music phenomenon Pharrell. So it's free. I sign up. I got this, like, crazy foot. I'm limping. Like, my scar is, like, literally scaring small children. But I put on my shiniest shirt, Jay. Like a sparkly, glittery shirt. I get there early. I sit in the front row. So the thing is, it was a screening of the movie, and then there was a Q&A after. And so I don't remember what question I asked, but I sat in the front row. And the whole time they were speaking, like, I was taking notes. And I was, like, taking exaggerated notes. Like, I was really, like, ooh, that was great, you know. So they're on the stage, and they can see me. 
So I asked a question, and it was a really thoughtful question because, you know, you know, you ask somebody a question, they jump back. Yep, like, yep, oh, okay. Yep, yep. So I asked one of those. And when it was over, everybody was trying to get to Pharrell. I was trying to get to the 50-year-old white guy because, like, <laughs> he was, like, the producer of the movie in the studio. And so, literally, his people are rushing him out. Jay, I chase him down. Mm. I do a light jog. I believe this. <laughs> With the bad foot. With the bad foot. I chase him down. I tap him on the shoulder, and I say, hi, you know, and I do an elevator pitch. It's 25 seconds, and I ask him if I can do an informational interview with him. And he was like, you know, I really wish I can, but, like, I'm a little too busy. I was like, oh, okay, no worries. And I give him my business card anyway, and he actually takes it. And the thing is, Jay, my business card at the time had my photo on it. And so three months – like, nothing happens. Three months later, I get a call from their HR department. And I think maybe he wore that outfit again and, like, found my business card. But they called me and they asked, hey, like, the CEO asked us to reach out to you. Like, are you interested in, like, coming in? And so I go in, but they don't have a job available, but they have an internship available. Hmm. And so this is what the, I want the audience to know. It's okay sometimes to make a lateral move or to just be open to the idea that it may not happen the way you expect. Because the decision I was facing at the time is like, this is my big break. So they offer me a graduate internship in development. Okay. And so remember, I've been speaking to all these development people, but I hadn't yet had like an official position doing that work. And in my mind, it's like, okay, this is paid. But, like, I'm not, I still had to work my way up. It's another internship. Like, can I afford to do another internship? So I eventually said yes. Hmm. And that ends up being my big break because now I'm finally in the room. And that's the thing that you need to know. You have to get in the door. Because, like, from there, it's easier to get that second job than, like, to get the first. And you need to be around the people who are doing the work. Uh, and then once, now I can say I work at Illumination. Now I can say, and like, again, it was the hottest like animation studio at the time. And like, you know, they just did the Super Mario Brothers movie, which, oh, okay. you know, broke all the records. So they were really starting to come into their own at that time. And while I was at their internship, it was only for three months. And I've always had a no job uh, is too small attitude. So like, I worked my tail off. Hmm. Like, I quickly position myself as and is like, it safe to say that everybody in hollywood works the tail off i would say so but like some people have ego <laughs> so like what separated me is like i'm happy to get do i'm gonna do the coffee like okay there's a crumb like you, you don't realize that people are always watching you even when it doesn't appear that they are and like now as like a boss myself like you notice when people go the extra mile i'll give you an example like say it's a holiday weekend you know the people who rush out and the people who stop and say, hey, is there anything do you need? Like, do are we covered? Like, you realize those people who tend to care about the work and the people who are just there because it's a job. And so, like, I ask questions. And, like, at that time, again, they're in development. So I will always ask the executives, okay, why did you say no to that pitch? Because, again, I wanted to know how they thought. And so a lot of people were good you have to be good to even get in the room sure, you're good but like you do have to find a way to fill a void so that's something that if you're listening i want you to take away from this how do you recognize the void wherever there's a need like so i don't think there's a one size fits all answer for that but you have to be observant and you have to be on the lookout like find a way to provide value 
So my goal in any position is like, okay, how do I make the job easier for the person ahead of me? And like, how do I leave things better? But like, there's always going to be a void. Like I, um, sometimes it's your personality. Like in Hollywood, sometimes we call them cartoon emergencies. There are cartoon emergencies. Like the work can be really stressful. So like being the person who makes people laugh when things are hard, being the person who like goes the extra mile and, you know, gives your boss an article that they may not have seen. Like youth can be an advantage. What would be one piece of advice you would say in that regard? <laughs> okay, I'll probably a to, lot to it, but I'll try to tell a quick story. So just be be careful of people who you meet under false pretenses. So like there was a person where I went to a big fancy like like Hollywood film festival, and they were a moderator on the panel. So of course they seem legit, like they're on mm. the they're on the panel, they're speaking to people, and I went up I went up to them after. And I told them, like, hey, I'm new in town, and, you know, like, I want to write, and here's what I want to do. And they said, oh, like, I can help you. You know, I can mentor you. And so they set a meeting with me. We meet, and this person starts talking all about their idea. So we met so that we can develop my idea. And it turned into, because this person had a lot of technical expertise. Like, they could animate, they could draw, but they had trouble with story. Story was my forte. I cannot animate. I cannot draw. So it seemed like a match. And so this person ended up pitching me this idea where I would write his screenplay for him because I understood his story and what he was trying to do. And I would give him maybe three drafts in three months until he was satisfied with it. And in exchange, he would give me $10,000 worth of coaching experience. Mm. And that sounds really... Interesting, but when you when you really think about it, okay, wait. So I'm going to get you to the point where you no longer need me and you can take it from here. And in return, you're going to give me advice on what I still need to do, but you're not going to help me do it. And you've priced this value, but I get no money. Okay, hmm. Mm. I think that's the deal that I'm going to have to say no to. So, you know, I think it could be the lesson is like when you finally get that meeting you know, check their credits. Like, there are ways to verify if people actually are who they say they are. Okay. On the internet, anybody can be anything they want to be. Sure. But, um, you know, again, when the switch rule happens like that, where you meet with somebody for one reason and then it becomes something else, or they're offering an exchange of goods where you get absolutely nothing out the deal, um, you know, that can be predatory. I want people to know that, like, it sounds really intimidating when you think about influencers. And, like, yeah. everybody wants to be an influencer. Sure. But it is possible to leverage social media and not have millions of followers. Okay. I do not have millions of followers, Jay. Like, I would call myself, in fact, a casual social media user. All right. When you say social media, what are you on? I'm on Instagram. I have one post. (laughs) (laughs) I'm on Twitter. I retweet almost exclusively. And, you know, I'll like some things. I use it really to laugh and, like, just to keep for research purposes. But I sort of got another lucky big break that I wasn't expecting on the app Clubhouse, which has since kind of fallen by the wayside. But at the time when the pandemic hit, Clubhouse was like the biggest thing because we were all inside. We were all trapped like there was really nothing to do. And a friend of mine and I were looking for a place to talk about animation. And so one of the other things I want your audience to know is to be passionate out loud. If there are things that you like, things that you admire, 
have those conversations on LinkedIn, on your like social media platform of choice. Because that those two people talking, my friend and I, turned into 20 people who wanted to speak about animation. And like it wasn't that we were talking about like anything in particular. It was just conversations that we would typically have in private. And, you know, from 20 people, we're all inside, you know, 200. And so over the course of the next two years, we built uh, what is now known as the Animation Club into a membership, a sort of tight-knit community of over 22,000 people. Wow. And so it was another opportunity where I got to see what happens when you're just authentically yourself, when you're passionate, again, out loud. Because, like, a lot of people who I hadn't met already came to me because I had this platform. So I got to work with a lot of the big Hollywood Hollywood studios and do events with them. Like, one of the highlights for me was um, we did an event with DC Comics. You know, they had a, uh, a fellowship that they were doing, which is really incredible, the Milestone Initiative, uh, and we helped them promote it. And so just being able to meet all these different people, it started with me just having a conversation with a friend and inviting people into that conversation. So I think the, the famous adage, if you build it, they will come, mm. is absolutely true. And that's something you could do at home. Like, it may not be social media, but there are times when I'll post something on Twitter, I may get four likes, but two of the like likes are the people who I wanted to see it. Do you like Hollywood? Do you like the Hollywood? Do you like being in Hollywood, or Hollywood, Los Angeles? Do you like it? I do. Uh, especially- what do you like about it? <laughs> well, I happened to be here during that last blizzard we had here in <laughs> Buffalo, <laughs> So I really like that there's no snow. <laughs> um, but I, I like the life that I built for myself in Hollywood. And I think that's something that no matter where you live, you can create for yourself. You, Buffalo is still great. This is a great radio station. There are a lot of great opportunities in Buffalo and Toronto. Again, a lot of places you can work from anywhere. Like, pursue those first. Be really good at your craft first. Because, again, when you move to L.A., you're going to meet a lot of people who look like you who have a similar background as you, who are passionate about the same projects that you are, who are trying to break into those same things. We thank you for joining us. This has been Producers Picks. We would like to thank our guests, Shara Armprester and Mia Kai Simone Moody. If you missed anything or would like to hear it again, a reminder, this program is a podcast. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts or the Amplify BTPM app. And each episode is also online on demand at WBFO.org. This is WBFO in WBFO HD1 Buffalo, WOLN Olean, and WUBJ Jamestown, your NPR station. And this is Thomas O'Neill White. Thanks for listening. This is the WBFO History Bites, bringing you a peek into significant historical events for the week of October 9th through October 15th. I'm your host, Josh Deckert. On October 10th, 1970, the Buffalo Sabres played their first ever game. Buffalo beat Pittsburgh 2-1. On October 11th, 1918, a citywide quarantine was enacted during the 1918 influenza pandemic. On October 12, 2006, the October storm began. An estimated 20 inches of snow fell on Buffalo and the surrounding areas, leaving residents without power for several days. And on October 13, 1813, 
British forces bombarded the neighborhood of Black Rock with cannonballs during the War of 1812. You've been listening to the WBFO History Bite. Discover more stories about Western New York's past on the Buffalo History Museum's website. You can learn more at buffalohistory.org. For WBFO, I'm Josh Deckert. Thank you.